Happy Monday. This is John Hulsman reporting in with our Around the World in 20 Minutes flagship of John's newsletter when we try to make sense of the beguiling new world we find ourselves in. I'm off next week to Washington in what is the biggest autumn of my career for my firm. I'm delighted to say everybody now realizes political risk matters, thank heavens, um, as we enter this new era. And I think our firm's call record of over 80% shows why we're steps ahead of our competitors who are still trying to figure out how they didn't see Brexit coming, let alone how they missed inflation, let alone how they missed the Ukraine war, all of which we've called and for that, and for the world-class work of the firm, I'm grateful to work with the people I get to work with every day. And we want to go back to Ukraine right now before I hit the road. I think next week, if I have a second, I'll tell you how the Washington trip is going, because the autumn is going to be full of these trips and give you an impression, a deep dive, as I do 25 or 30 meetings a week when I go to places, a snapshot, but a deep dive of what's going on around the world. And we'll start with these next week. But ahead of that, I wanted to talk about Ukraine because while things have been very quiet in, in the media, I remember when The Guardian ran an hour-by-hour hour ticker of what was going on in Ukraine in the early days when the Ukrainians heroically saw off the Russian blitzkrieg. Now it's a report where you get weak summaries because very little has changed on the front lines, and this has lulled people into sleep and into not looking at what's going on in Ukraine. But while we've been avoiding discussing this in detail in the mainstream media, the fact is the Ukraine war is about to reach a climax now. And why do I say that? Because of the Kherson counteroffensive of the Ukrainians. As many of you know, Kherson is the only major city, it has about a quarter million people, that the Russians managed to take early on in Ukraine. And now the Ukrainians are struggling to take it back. Uh, the Russians have about 24,000 troops to defend the Kherson sector, with a good number of armored vehicles there. And both sides at this time in the war, which is, you know, devolved into the stalemate, we all know, both sides, of course, have problems. So let's look in some detail at what's going on with both of them. The Russian plan is to hold on to Kherson one way or the other, wait for winter. This is always the Russian plan. Wait for winter, where uh, there can't be a lot of movement on the front, and then get their stalled Donbass offensive moving in the spring. So to play for time, blunt the Kyrgyzstan offensive, let winter take its course, and in the spring of next year, move forward in the Donbass. At present, Russia holds about two-thirds of the Donbass, the eastern-speaking two provinces in Ukraine of Luhansk and Donetsk. They have all of Luhansk and, and a good portion of Donetsk, but only two-thirds of the whole Donbass to take the remaining one-third. But to do this, they're going to have to take the towns of Slovyansk and Kramatorsk, which they haven't managed to do at the moment. At present, Russia controls around 20% of Ukraine. And again, if you look in the south, they've done well. While the, while the blitzkrieg to the north in Kiev has been halted, and in the, in, in the northeast of the country around Kharkiv, they've made very little progress. In the south, the Russians have had fairly good going, uh, going from Russian territory into places around Mariupol, Donetsk, and then south all the way along the Black Sea coast, making the Sea of Azov a Russian lake. And they control about 20% of this mass, this massive country. But they really have ground to a halt. The, the regular army in Russia is about 280,000 people before the war. About 180,000 are now committed to Ukraine. Um, the British official estimates have the Russian KIA, the killed in action, at about 20,000 with casualties at about 80,000. 
So this is significant. Again, this is more casualties the Russians have endured in just over, a, you know, under a year of warfare than they endured in 10 years, a decade in Afghanistan. So this is much more like World War I than, say, Afghanistan. And the problem is that the Russian numbers um, aren't enough to take over a country that's as massive as, as Ukraine. Uh, Ukraine is the second largest country in Europe, second only to the Euro European part of Russia itself. Um, Kiev's casualties are roughly half of Russia's, so bloodletting on both sides. But the problem for Putin is that he has tried to make this a sideshow. He said this, uh, that in, in the wording matters here. Putin has said that, that the invasion of Ukraine is simply a special military operation. It's not a war. He's refused to draft people, which might politically be terminal for him. He's not instituted a draft which would lead to a full-scale war. He doesn't want to affect Russian society to that extent, so he's short troops. He's called for an additional 137,000 in the armed forces. Um, he's offering payments to do this. He's moving up conscription that would happen normally, pushing this forward to get this new 137,000 online. But it, this is yet to happen. They have yet to receive the training, and they've yet to enter the front. So he can't really go to an offensive until at some point next year. And the danger for Putin is that he has to somehow he wants to stay, and yet he wants to minimize the effect of this on Russian society. And these are contradictory impulses. To stay, he's having to increase the number of people because they never thought the Ukrainians would fight as gallantly, even losing territory slowly to the Russians as they have. But on the other hand, he wants to stay, but he wants to do it on the cheap. And Putin fears instituting a full-out call for war and a full-out draft, which would drastically affect Russian society and politically would be very dangerous for him. So he's waiting on old man Winter, as always in Russia, to help him. These 137,000 troops to receive new training and at some point in the new year to then move forward in the Donbass where he stalled. Um, so that, that's going on. On the other hand, the, the Ukrainians have, have problems of their own. Um, winter is the deadline for the Ukraine's success in Kyrgyzstan. That, on that point, they and the Russians agree they have until winter to move in Kyrgyzstan. And remember, and as Napoleon and Hitler found out, Charles XII, winter comes very early in Russia. And we're already in September. Really, September is the pivotal month, month which is why I'm saying the Ukraine war is about to reach a climax. So they have September, October, and maybe the beginning of November. Not a lot of time to take Kyrgyzstan in a broad sweep. Um, if they fail to do that, winter will stop them. But importantly, as Clausewitz, the great Prussian theorist, put it, remember that military effects and military attacks are merely politics by another means, that beneath these military offensives in Ukraine, there is a huge political struggle going on. And the struggle is simple, that Ukraine must prove it can take Kyrgyzstan, that it must prove it can go on to the counteroffensive and take it to demonstrate to its Western backers that Ukrainian forces are not just fighting gallantly in a losing cause and losing the war slowly. They have to show that they can liberate their own territory. Because without doing that, this is merely at best a stalemate and at worst a losing proposition. And that's not something the West is likely to bankroll indefinitely, given the Russian energy boycott is boomeranged and is now affecting the West far more than the Russians. The Russians are pumping only 600,000 barrels per day, fewer than they did before the sanctions. And with the price of oil rising, of course, as you have less on the market, the price goes up. Nobody seems to have thought of that in the West. And so the spiraling, skyrocketing prices 
of energy in the West because of their suicidally stupid energy policy in places like Germany and Italy. And let's not forget, they're to blame for two decades of ignoring people like me playing war games and saying, diversify supply away from Russia, do more with Qatar, the U.S., Norway, and Algeria to be laughed in my face and said, we'll never do anything to help fracking. We'd rather buy oil from Putin, which, of course, ignores security of supply altogether. And now they're paying a horrible price in the West. But that really the Ukrainians have to prove they can win or people are not going to bankroll a losing cause that just loses more slowly while they endure the energy energy skyrocketing. And so the Ukrainians have all this politically stacked against them because they are utterly, entirely dependent on the West. That's when we've talked about this in other podcasts. That's why the United States cannot let the Ukrainians set the military goals of the war. We're paying for Ukraine. We are single-handedly propping up in the United States Ukraine. We are supplying 70% in the United States, 70% of the Ukrainian military aid that they're receiving and of the $9 billion, and you heard me right, the Ukrainians need $9 billion a month just to keep their country going. The United States is supplying the lion's share, while its own people are dealing with the, the perils of stagflation, inflation having loosed the cage, and now attacking after two generations of very low rates of inflation because of what Paul Volcker and Ronald Reagan did. Now inflation is out of control. The United States is in all kinds of economic peril. And it seems like a frivolity to many, including me as a realist, to bankroll the Ukrainians $9 billion a month when the United States itself has massive problems and all for a tertiary or at best secondary order interest. And the Ukrainians know that there's real anxiety and antsiness within the West about continuing to bankroll them. They need to prove and win in Kyrgyzstan before winter because the military deadline for Ukraine, which is the winner, is really a political deadline in Kiev's relations with the West. They have to keep their backers sweet if they're going to have any chance to win the war and reclaim their territory. If this offensive in Kyrgyzstan is blunted by the Russians, by the Russians slowing it down and winter taking care of it, Western backers by the end of this winter are going to be awfully antsy and say, why are we throwing good money after bad in a losing cause and force Zelensky to make some sort of deal with Putin to avoid this political undertones? And Clausewitz is right. This is the name of the game. They need to win and win quickly in Kyrgyzstan. And let's remember that things have ground to a halt since June. The Russian offensive then took a little bit of territory in Donetsk and then ground to a halt. And really, the lines haven't moved over the last two months. And the Russian offensive is spent. They've moved over to the defensive. The Ukrainians are beginning their counteroffensive around Kyrgyzstan. But if they don't move and win quickly, politics, which always drives military means, Clausewitz was absolutely right about this. If you work, if you go to West Point, if you go to Annapolis, uh, if you go down to Quantico, if you go to any of, of, of the basic military academies in our country. This is a thing where you do what I do in political risk. This is the first lesson you learn in grad school, Clausewitz, that military matters are merely politics by another means. And it's the politics that are driving the problems for both sides here. For Putin, the question is, how do you win a war and take territory when you keep, want to keep the war on the back burner, not move to a full war footing, instituting a draft, because that would show things have not gone well. And as the dictator of the country, the blame is all on you. For upending Russian society, you would get the blame. And this could be politically 
terminal for Putin and certainly would pose a great danger to his rule. So you want to take territory and win over Ukraine without enough troops and without moving to a full war footing. That's the political conundrum for Putin. The conundrum for the Ukrainians is you're utterly dependent for your survival on the charity of Westerners and who have very unclear war aims, shame on the West. But among those aims is you don't want to throw good money after bad. And now with the energy sanctions boomeranging and biting Western society, particularly in Europe because of, again, its suicidally stupid energy policies, and I'm going to keep saying this over and over again, these people in Germany who laughed at me and the German foreign policy elite should all be shown the door. For two, generate, for two decades, I told them, amongst others, that this was a disaster and they had to diversify supply to keep security there and pay a premium for doing so. And they said buying gas in essence from Putin is the same as buying it for Norway. Guess what? Not true. They were absolutely wrong and are now paying the piper. But the problem is that the West's goals for Ukraine and support of Ukraine is always going to be more limited than the Ukrainians themselves. And with a $9 billion, a stratospheric amount of money needed a month, and with the West going into recession, the only way this works is if the Ukrainians can show some sort of return, meaning they can go onto the counteroffensive, retake Kherson, the only major city the Russians have taken, prove they can retake their own territory, and all this money is not just letting them lose gallantly, but slowly. They have to show their backers politically. It's worth continuing to fund them. And it's these two political dueling narratives that are driving the fact that the Ukraine war is about to reach its climax. Thank you very much for this. Great to start the week with you as ever, and we will keep them coming. For those of you who have not subscribed yet, please do so. We're glad so many of you have, and overwhelmingly we're devoted to making the site the cutting-edge, world-class kind of representation of all that the firm does and getting this right. Well, again, others can't figure out how they got Brexit wrong, let alone didn't call the Ukraine war, let alone didn't call the rise in inflation. If you want to get it right, come to us. So please do subscribe. And for those of you who have subscribed, please do give. We're only asking for my beloved espresso a month. So $70 a year or $7 a month. For $70 a year, you can be in on this as we move everything over the paywall, which we will do at some point. We want to keep you in the loop as we give you this cutting edge look at what's going on in our fascinating world. Hope you enjoyed this and on to the next. Have a great week.